0: Behind the Geek Show, we are four minutes or five minutes late now. I am joined by the two legends, Pete Matheson and Scott Riley. And uh, tonight, or this morning, or whatever it happens to be in your part of the world, we are talking about dispatching and the service delivery or service coordinator role in an MSP. And over the years, I have seen many, many, many people ask, When should I hire a dispatcher? or like, How do I hire a dispatcher? What does a dispatcher do? Uh, How big do I need to be when I hire a dispatcher? And I've seen loads of opinions from loads of different people about um, whether you even need one or not in an MSP up to a certain point. So today we thought we'd dive into sharing a little bit of how we handle dispatching in our MSPs, whether it's required, whether it's not required, how you can self-dispatch to a degree. Um, sorry for being a little bit late for those of you that are joining us on the YouTube channel. We were in a very spirited discussion beforehand and didn't realize that we were already four or five minutes late. We probably should set some timers or something, but you can blame me because I was the one that, that started the spirited discussion.
1: I just um, love how every episode starts, I think we're live.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yep. I am. Um, I really, 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 really wish one day that live streams would start the second that, that counts down from one. But we know that there's this weird, awkward patch in them that they start whenever they feel like starting and then they stop at the same um weird way you can press the end stream button and then you're still there for another three four five sometimes 10 seconds looking (laughs) awkward while um you don't know whether you've finished streaming or not but anyway um so dispatching scott you are the current msp out of all of us. By the way, for those of you wondering where Richard is, he's off on holidays this week. He will be back. I think he's off for two weeks or two or three weeks at the moment, mm-hmm. um, having a well-needed rest. So he'll be back very shortly. So you're stuck with the three of us. Uh, but Scott, you, you're running an MSP now. Now you non-traditional in that you're also using an augmented help desk to, to help out with your level one, level two-ish kind of support in there. How do you, do you have a need for any sort of dispatching, scheduling, coordination in the way you've got your set up at the moment, or is that all handled by your external help desk right now?
2: Yeah, I was going to say I'm really lucky in that that is all handled externally for me. So it is super duper easy. (laughs) We do have some coordination when it comes to project activities and escalations, but that's not a huge burden for us because we have this complete outsourced service. I do know that in that outsourced service, they do have service delivery managers and they have dispatchers as well. So they have those two different roles. And so that works really well. I think it's probably useful just for the audience um, to define maybe what dispatchers and service delivery managers and help desk managers are um, just to kind of separate those roles. So for me, the whole idea of, of a dispatcher is someone who understands the team understands the the tickets and the technology but is not necessarily a line manager okay they are there to just make sure that they keep an eye on the tickets and the queue and the slas that are happening the workload that the team have and essentially and let's be really honest here they're there to stop the techs cherry picking their favorite tickets (laughs) or their favorite customers and just go oh i'm gonna look at me i've smashed 20 tickets today sure But see these really sticky, awkward ones or these customers that are a bit sticky and awkward? You haven't handled those and we're we're close to SLA. So really the the dispatcher is there to make sure that everyone's kind of getting a fair crack at the the tickets that are in there. Also the SLA and making sure that those things are, are managed properly. They are not a manager. So they're not there to boss the people around. They're not there to, you know, shove people or poke people or, you know, get on people's cases. They're there just to make sure that the the customer tickets get handled in the right way. And I guess, you know, they can work hand in hand with a service delivery manager or a help desk manager to say, hey, you know, I need this guy to get more exposure to these tickets so that we can skill up. So can you help me when it comes to dispatch to make sure that they pick up more of these things? But in essence, it's there all around just making sure that we get the SLAs met. That's the key thing.
0: In your MSP, I was just laughing at Lee's thing there, which is why there was an awkward pause. <laughs> um, Lee had a message in the comments um, mentioning that with no Richard here, there was bigger space for me on the video. But I went and fixed that so you didn't have to <laughs> I didn't ruin your day with my big face on your screen. But anyway, Pete, in your MSP, did you, did you have a, a dedicated scheduler slash dispatcher slash coordinator role at all? Or did you have a different way to handle it?
1: I, I think for us, it was looking for, yeah, a dispatcher, scheduler, almost just someone that needs to mother the uh, the engineers to <laughs> stay on top of them. And yeah, like Scott said, not cherry picking tickets. And also just chasing up and saying, like, you've been on it for two hours. What are you doing? Like, you give it back to me and I'll give it to someone else, get a second opinion, just basically keeping the ship moving. I think that's the main thing is keeping things moving, keeping everything scheduled. You know, If people want to find time for something, then it's there, that central point of contact between the clients, the staff, other people in the company as well. If you've got other teams of maybe you've got your engineers, you've got your account managers, you've got project teams. You know, Before you get to the stage where you start separating those roles out and having a PM, a, you know, a full-on project manager, you can have that one person that is just like an administrative role that looks after, yeah, the scheduling of resources and and booking things in. And, and certainly for us, it got to a stage where, you know, going, going through the process, you do just start off just having engineers and they do cherry pick and pick up their own work. <laughs> and there are things that we put in place to um, not really prevent that, but, but to try and organize how that would happen when it was just the engineers. So, you know, very, very simple um, way of doing things. Firstly, set due dates on your tickets or at least next action dates, yeah. so you get rid of all the stuff on your bo- on your boards that you don't have to deal with today. So you're only looking at stuff that you te- you care about today, or that stuff that's overdue. Then, obviously, you've got the priority sorting, so SLAs, priorities. You know, that's that's probably the next stage in terms of how you pick up the tickets. But then you get beyond that, and that's when you start. And I certainly found out that we were. Ah, oh, do, do you want to just take up the role of like the, the dishing out person today? Do you want to start dishing out tickets and? organizing people and it slowly spread from going to that role of finding someone whether it's the same person or just going around the room and trying different people each time to then going actually no we need to we need to hire someone and it's a really difficult role to hire for i found because mm. certainly at that stage in your msp journey you're used to hiring techs that makes you money because available resources time. Yeah. exactly whereas you hire this admin staff you're like well they're not making me money by booking somebody or scheduling something you know it's, it's not a billable resource so i found it a real challenge to to do that and actually um for us it's finding you have to be so good at finding the right person for that role um you can't just look for an all-rounder you can't you know it, it's one of those things and when we started changing our recruitment process <laughs> to again hiring based on personalities rather than based on technical skills you're, you want to find a, pe- a people person. You want to yeah. find someone that just just gets everybody, just gets on with everyone, is good at what they do. You know They're, they're great at scheduling. I'm crap. I have to put everything in my diary. I forget everything. <laughs> Whereas you get someone else, like my wife, who remembers birthdays from any time of the, you know, anybody. You want to find that person, the person that just stays on top of stuff, knows what's going on. Um, but it's, it's a difficult role. And I remember actually when we hired for that role, we had something in mind of, you know, everyone, you have that mind of um, what you're going to pay them. And we couldn't actually afford the person we'd found. We're like, oh, we we, want, we really want to hire you, but we can't afford you. So I don't know if we actually said it in the interview or not. Like, we're going to go out on a limb here. We can't actually afford you, but we want to hire you. So we can probably pay you for six months. <laughs> Come and work for us. <laughs> and hopefully in that six months, we'll, we'll figure out how we can pay you somehow. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, as with hiring any member of staff, when you hire them, things really, you know, really put... Go go into gear when you go. Oh, actually, I need to pay someone now. I'm going to go out, get the work in, deliver the projects, and just make sure you're actually covering their uh, their their salary each month. So it really puts you on the spot on the spot, and and it really makes you work hard for it. As as with anything, when you start a business, you realise you have no clients. You need to go and earn some money. You get out there and you start trying to do whatever you can to earn some money again. But they're they're great as well because once you've got that role in place, they do kind of become a billable resource in a certain way because um I mean. I've gone through this with a few clients when you have like a stack of projects and you're like, Oh, there's so much going on. I don't know what to do. Oh, we're not doing very well on the money side of things. You know, we're struggling financially. Okay. We'll just take all that stack of projects and just space them out. Do one project a month, two projects a month, whatever it is. Now you at least have some kind of steady income coming in through those months, rather than trying to rush, do them all in one month, panic, you get things wrong, scheduling gets messed up. Just take it steady and, um, you know, have a, uh, a, have a i'm trying to think of the wording for it now um have like a schedule for things because one of the worst things that i find is that a client um signs up for a project they go when you can do it i can do it tomorrow i'll do it straight away (laughs) and you say that's the next person the next day and the next person the next day and now you've got five projects that you said you'd all do do them tomorrow and have them finished by the end of the week but actually having a process where you go okay our next available slot for a project is a week a month you know six months whatever it is that's a great way to set up your week and set up your month because then depending on how far you're booking out, you then know if you need to hire more staff, maybe, maybe more project engineers, maybe more kind of dispatch re- resources, whatever it's going to be. And it just starts letting you organize your, your team a bit more and structure them as well, just to kind of pe- put people in there, their pods of maybe you do have a project team, you've got the help desk team, you've got the dispatch team, the project managers, it just starts helping to build that kind of structure. And, and even to the stage where, I would go down the process and I did where you write the structure and draw the structure out on maybe a whiteboard or or something. So everybody can see it, what it looks like in future, but you're still writing names where those kind of, you know, the roles should be. So for example, you might actually find that one person in your business is the dispatch, is the engineer, is the project manager. You write that down so that, and actually when we did this exercise, I realized that, Of course, I had a lot of roles on me. My business partner had a lot of roles on me on on him, and one of our engineers had a ton of roles Mm -hmm. on on him because he was doing the engineering. He was also managing some of the RMM tools and the like, the Connectwise platform we were on as well. So he was doing lots of the internal stuff, and it just allows you to stand back and go, "Oh, hang on a minute, you're doing like ten roles. No wonder you're saying you're busy. Let's look at what we can do. Can we offload? Can we delegate? Can we hire? It just it's it's that structure, you know, the, the team structure that is so difficult to get right from day one. And everyone's journey is different as well, is yeah. finding you know, what works for them. We just kind of found something that works for us over time. And yeah, as you grow, you're making that decision of, is it going to be a technical resource? Is it an account manager? Is it that dispatch role that, that can actually help organize things? Sorry, that was a very long waffle.
0: I was just about to say, there's, there's Pete's rant, and it was a very good one of that. Um, we can wrap up here. <laughs> in before the air uh, starts drilling again. <laughs> um, and loads of wisdom in that, and I think we, we mirrored probably a very similar journey to you in that we went all the way from self-dispatch cherry-picking. We went to a proper um, self-managed set of policies that meant that techs had to follow a set of rules, and I'll run through them in a minute, um, that meant that they kind of self-dispatched in there then we went, we, we went all the way to having a $110,000 dispatcher on team and we, have, we went for everywhere in between through our journey and there was pros and cons of each different option out there. One of my favourites though in the smaller, when we are kind of that 5, 10 seat range in that whole range there was, um, was the self-dispatching but with rules so that it stopped cherry picking in there. And, and we had to work hard at that because me, like the, best of the rest of the techs, love a good cherry pick. We love going in and finding the, the easiest bit of dopamine hit that we can get out of our queue. But we, we ended up putting in some, um, some rules based on something that I heard from Carl Palachuk about uh, where he used to run his support desk or service desk on an oldest to newest, highest to lowest order. And so he meant that the way they did that was they had to make sure that every one of their tickets has, was categorized properly in terms of um, priority. So it was a P1, P2, P3, and P4. And then they literally ordered their service desk or their ticket queue in that order. And every tech, literally when they, they needed to pick up their next ticket, they just picked up the top ticket in that order. And if they didn't, that was a, that was an issue because that means they were cherry picking. And so, so we used to, we did that for a while and that worked okay. We had to it wasn't easy to get that view showing up in connectwise from memory we had to do a few little tweaks to get it to get um highest to lowest oldest to newest but once we did it was pretty good and what we had to do then was we just had to have this basic process in place to make sure that all tickets went through this very 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 simple triage slash we call it pre-processing and um and we had this what what the pre-processing was was just to make sure that the the title of the ticket and all the information was okay in it and the priority was correct and so that meant that if the priority was correct, then it would sit in our queue in the right order, ready to be touched in the right order. And typically, we would only get a P1 couple of times a month, so they would they would be taken care of really, really quickly up the top. And P2s probably I don't know five to ten to fifteen a month or something. Um, but then the rest were just your normals and lows, and so we always just kept flowing through them and flowing through them, and um, and it worked quite well. And the way we did the pre-processing was we had this this totem like a little statue when we had the 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 bullpin, bullpen I mean help desk. In person, we had this, this totem where each day or week, we tried it on a daily cadence and a weekly cadence. We just, someone had the statue sitting on their desk and they were the person that was in charge of pre-processing that tickets that day. And that meant that um, that in between tickets or at least once every hour, they had to go into the queue and look for anything in a new status and just go and quickly spend two to three minutes just putting them into the right order. And, um, and then we knew who that was every day because they're the one who had the totem sitting on their desk. Now that with remote work and whatever, there's easier ways to go and deal with that. But that's the way it worked for us. And so it meant that that person had a few more interruptions in their day than everybody else. But everybody else literally just kept refreshing the service board Mm -hmm. queue and just picked the top ticket in there. And that meant that we didn't need a dispatcher in there. Um, However, from time to time, that did get a little bit out of control. And so we had to kind of go all hands on deck and clean up some priorities that were probably Mm -hmm. in the wrong. And we ended up putting in a thing that if something got stuck in a low priority for too long, uh, it then got escalated to a, a normal priority and then it got escalated to a high priority in there so that it moved its way up through the thing based on time. But then that was how we kept on top of our capacity. And we we, we knew that if we're not getting to the low ones in here at all, we've got a capacity problem and we need to go and throw more more techs at the thing in here. And normally now, with, get... with that up, how did you deal with uh, people getting stuck on tickets
1: for like an hour or maybe even a day? Yeah, to so get something
0: so we them? had that, um, we had a thing where if you got stuck on a ticket for an hour and you're think that you're close to a resolution at that hour like you're still faffing around trying to find root cause then you had to go and get a peer review so you had to go and just say hey jerry you had to go and interrupt and i hate interruptions but sometimes we had to have them in there and it was like hey jerry or hey whoever i've been on this ticket now for an hour have you got five minutes for me to just run through what i've been through and just see if i'm missing something because i'm just make getting no nowhere in there and that was that was the first layer and then like we had some front level team in there like a couple of people on the front like level one and then we had this two senior guys that were on level two and um and so then if it got past that not a lot of the time it would be oh how about you just go check this and they'd be able to figure it out and they'd, they'd get through but sometimes they wouldn't be able to and that would be then okay time to go and escalate it to one of the seniors and the senior guys would then go and deal with that one uh, but it was typically an hour that we had for a help desk ticket if it was like an engineering ticket or like a back-end ticket where they're building something on a project or whatever we didn't have that rule applied but it's typically an hour i know some msps have it at 30 minutes i know some msps have it at like four hours or eight hours on a ticket it just depends on on your size and your, your where you are in your journey as an msp but an hour worked pretty well for us that and it was a um a you've got to use your your gut feel like don't get to an hour, sixty minutes, and go. I haven't solved it yet, so I have to go and ask for help. <laughs> Whoop, let's just give it over. To yeah, just, I give up now. I'm going to ask for help. But if you feel like you're, you're kind of getting close, then then just use your gut and just go right with it and try and run out that last fifteen minutes or whatever it is to go and get it done uh, without interrupting anyone else. But if you're at an hour and you have made no headway and you've got zero clues and you're still faffing about, it's time to call in some help from someone in there. I don't know if you guys have a um, rule
1: set up very, very similarly. So yeah, if you, if, if you haven't um, fixed it in an hour, then get someone else in. We also had the other opposite, the other opposite, the opposite side of things of, um, if you've logged an hour on a ticket and it was set as like a new request of like, can you install a new application or do something new, then it would automatically, so we use ConnectWise, It would automatically add a time entry to the ticket to say, please can you have a chat with either the customer or the account manager and quote for this separately? Because if you spent more than an hour, on a new thing which that wasn't right. covered by day-to-day support then it needs to be quoted for um, we generally wrapped up, everything up you know anything less than an hour I just say cover it anyway from, from my point of right. view it's okay. less hassle for the client it's small things here and there and, you know it's a bit of value add you can give back to your client but if something just blows up and turns into oh now I need to get a third party involved I need to create a new server for it whatever it's going to be that's when it needs to be um, you know a, a separate thing so that's just a little reminder to yeah. um, whether you're self-managed or whether you have someone not doing it for you a little self-reminder to say hey just stop go and have a chat with someone and maybe just check the client that they're going to pay for it or quote for them.
0: We used to do something very similar on vendor tickets because we used to include um, on our top level plan. This was back when this was five years ago. So I probably would do things differently nowadays, but on our top level plan, we included vendor management and for vendor management, we did first level support for line of business apps for our clients up to a maximum of one hour per incident in there. And so it was very similar that if we couldn't get that incident solved within one hour, and obviously the client also had to have a maintenance agreement that we dealt with their line of – we were able to deal with their line of business vendor on, but very similar. Um, and Anything over an hour, we'd get in touch with the client and say, hey, it's it's gone past the hour that we include per incident in here. Hey, like from now on, just letting you know it's going to be billable at your your rates outside of your, your agreement. Mm-hmm. And um, we never had any pushback on that. Everyone was pretty fair because most – what we found is most – but pretty much all clients preferred dealing with us than they did their line of business vendor, and they're happy to pay us extra to know that our team were going to try and solve their POS issues or their their bloody legal system issues or whatever the heck it happened to be, rather than leaving it up to the vendor. And we would be the ones that would go and grill the vendor and give them a bit of curry and get it sorted out for them. And so we we took extra margin for that, and we we delivered the service for that, and just had that cap in there, like you did, Pete. Um, now, Lee mentions a very good thing in here, and this was one of the – like we we also ran in our MSP a, like a, a high-end dispatcher, like a hundred and something grand a year dispatcher um, who also operated in the sales manager role uh, – sorry, service delivery manager role, um, as well as we tried mid-tier dispatchers in there as well. So we kind of had the whole gamut in there. And one of the, the big pros of having a dispatcher that, as you said, Pete, has got – oodles of personality and whatever is that they really can be that awesome extra bit of amazing experience for the customers there that they they might not know the technical answer but they're just delivering an amazing they're making the customer feel like they're known they're accepted they've got things under control and they've got the trust there for them and that's that's one of the big pros to having a dispatcher in there obviously costs a little bit more especially for a nimble msp to have a dispatcher so you've got to weigh up whether you can get by with that whole self-dispatching system for until to a certain point but um but yeah that's a such a good point is that um, I think the thing for me with um, with Lee's comments there, when, when the guys are just getting stu-
1: sorry, guys, guys or girls, engineers, when they're fixing tickets for you and fixing you know doing client work, particularly on P one like priority one issues, they can be left to get on with it. Your dispatcher can then be the central point of contact. You know, if you have a rule that says you're going to contact the client every half an hour or every hour with an update, regardless of what the update is, that can be then their responsibility. Yeah. That can work really, really well because, yeah, they can just crack on with things. They can check in with the engineer every hour and say, hey, where are you? How long do you think it's going to be? Do we need, you know, external things? Um, Do we know what's caused it? And then relay that to the client without really interrupting the engineer um, and just leaves them to focus on. That that can be a huge thing, you know, particularly when it's time-sensitive issues on, like, P1 things. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Billy asks... Uh, does or did your dispatcher answer the support line calls and does this help? And if if it does, how did you manage the transition to this person acting as an initial contact point rather than the engineering team? It, when you had your dispatcher running, Pete, did you have them answering calls as a buffer between them and the techs at any time?
1: Yeah, this, this is a – I don't think anyone's – I'd love to know if anyone thinks they've, they've nailed the uh, cool kind of – Call flow process when calls come into a business. <laughs> no one because we we tried so many things. Um, you know, yeah. does it go straight to the engineers? Does it go yeah. to admin staff? Does it go to first lines? Yeah, I, I think we settled on the best route was it would come into either the uh, dispatcher because again they're you know scheduling they can just log with tickets and what have you or transfer it straight to somebody if if um if they're available if they could help. Yeah, or we also had um we were starting to grow grow out a team of like RMM. Uh, engineers, the, the guys would just sit on like the RMM remote monitoring platforms and monitoring and configuring, alerting those kinds of things. They weren't really doing any direct customer-facing work. They wouldn't be on the phones to customers. They'd be behind right. the scenes, and so they could answer phone calls without really being interrupted, and they wouldn't be working on anything that's you know time-sensitive normally. So they could also start picking up some of those phone calls, and then possibly um, introduce a junior into there as well, just right. to get familiar with the clients, right. get good on the telephones. Um, yeah. And it's just it's just finding the flow. It, it you know, hugely depends on the people that you've got. I find. Yeah. Um, it just it just depends whether you've got someone that's great at answering the phone, doesn't mind being interrupted. Um, there's the um, I don't know if you guys know off the top of your head. There's there's some rule or statistic of when you get interrupted when you're doing deep
0: work. Yeah. It takes you so some insane amount of time. To- yeah. The studies show somewhere around twelve to fifteen minutes to get back to the same level of flow you're at before the interruption which is so it's, is
1: it's definitely worth and, and that's something that you know we did have with with some of our staff because you can tell they're in the middle of something they get yeah. a phone call and they're like oh shit what, what was i doing now like where was i out they where they were again yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, I, I think it's definitely worth having a separate team that can do the phones but Obviously that's a very expensive role to have yeah. a phone answering, you know, a receptionist. Right. Like much much bigger MSP has, has a receptionist. Yeah.
0: And it depends on what size you are again. It all comes back to that size thing. Like if you're, if you're an MSP that can afford a level one team, level two team, level three team, then typically your level one team is just going to be sitting there answering the calls immediately because that's providing the best level of support for your customers because they're getting access to an engineer immediately, which is ultimately what every customer wants. But when you're starting out as an MSP, you can't, you sometimes just can't offer that. Properly without your your people doing it when when we're at a certain point in our MSP we um that totem that we use that kind of round robin thing also was the person that answered calls that day and so that that person not only had to do the the pre processing of all the tickets to get make sure that they are in the right order of our our self dispatching queue but they also were the person to pick up a call as a call came in and triage a ticket into the system in that same process and if they could help the person on the call um, they tried to we back then no no msps were really differentiating hard on um immediate support in their sales process but that's becoming more and more and more and more of a differentiator nowadays and a selling point nowadays and so so we we operated back then on the old p1 p2 p3 p4 that each had response times on it so it was a normal p3 ticket it would be like an eight hour response time on there and um and nowadays that doesn't fly as much because there are so many msps and it doesn't work as much because there's so many msps saying hey well your old msp might do that and offer you like response times on this p1 p2 p3 p4 our rule is that you can speak to an engineer in 60 seconds or less or you get your money back and you just go oh like that's a pretty compelling offer as an end user right and so to do that you have to have your l1s l2s l3s or a triage sitting in the front that you can speak to although you can't even have a dispatcher at the front if you can that you can speak to if your yeah. value prop is that you're going to speak to an engineer in 60 seconds or less. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so you just got to get to that point. And that's why I know Scott, that's why you, you, you buddy up with, um, with uptime and Jason over there, because those guys can deliver stuff like that, where, where they've got a teams of people that just sit there and they can escalate through their things and have a, a much um, bigger resourced level one team in there to be able to handle really fast response times on phone calls and that's such a compelling offer for msps nowadays because it allows you to to use that in your marketing and your differentiation to the msps that are still stuck the way we were doing it with the old p1 p2 p3 like p4s were like a um a two business day return on things and like nowadays there's no way i would run that as an msp nowadays because you're just you're going to lose customers left right and center out there i awesome. no, i still see
1: a load of abuse of like the the stats though you know Oh yeah. <laughs> ten, ten yep. seconds uh, response times like no. By your automated <laughs> bot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, an email response is a, is a clarifies as a response on your SLA. Just just no. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's, for me it's you know, if you're gonna tout response times and, and if you want to guarantee guaranteed fixed times or anything, it's it's gotta be response by a technical resource yeah, that physically picks up your issue and correct. actually like eyeballs on problem trying to yeah. fix it right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. hundred percent. No that in our business that was managed via when a ticket changes from new or ready to start um, and where and goes into um in progress and our rule in our business yeah. was that at any one time like you could only have one ticket that you're working on at any one time and that ticket when you're working on it had to be in progress the minute you start working on it because that's how we tagged all our times on things and so that meant that if we had 5 engineers working that day there could only be a maximum of 5 tickets at any one time in the in progress state and that would show us who's working on what and um and when a ticket got pre-processed it came in as new so they by default they all came in as new or new from rmm or whatever it happened to be and and whoever was pre-processing that particular day would just have a filter set up for those new ones and then they would go and set the priority and make sure the priority was right if it didn't automatically get default set by the rmm tool and then they would change the status to ready to start and ready to start wasn't an sla triggered status it didn't start the or it didn't fire the sla um that we we'd reached it yet it didn't get triggered until we changed it from ready to start to in progress. And then that was, as you said, Pete, that was when an engineer picked up the ticket and started work on it. And that's when, when we, that's our response time. That's our technical response time. An engineer picked it up and started to work on it. And we had all those numbers up on our bright, fancy walls and everything to try and keep them under our, our metrics and whatnot. But, as I we said did a very, Dana, very
1: similar thing to that there was there was one maybe it's draconian i don't know so we we mainly for our dispatch to be fair actually so we we did a very similar thing where you know you, you set the ticket into in, in progress but arms so we had pods of desks and uh, there would be a tv above each pod of desks and on the tv it would show the tickets that were in progress by oh, the, the, cool. the people sat at the desk yep. so the dispatch could just glance up and go okay i've got you know there's a team of three over there. There's three green things over there. I know they're working on three things. They nice. could just see straight away if everyone's technically working on something. Yeah, and if good. they glance up and see there's like nothing on the on the screen, they can have a bit of a nag and say, why aren't you in progress? You know, it's yeah, not, it's not picked off the, the SLA. Yeah. It just... It's just an organisation like that. I love those kind of things. Maybe it's. Oh yeah, we
0: loved them. <laughs> I would have loved to have that one up there because um, we we still had the inevitable um, engineers that accidentally left multiple tickets in progress from time to yeah. time, and <laughs> and over over the years it got better and better and better. Um, but but that would have helped solve that because it would have been this glaring mm. thing up in front of us. We did I think we did have number of tickets in progress as just a number up on our wall, but it didn't have it above each each pot of people like you yeah. did. That's awesome. Yeah, so, we, I think
1: because the way we were managing tickets was that all the tickets, and this is maybe a complete separate discussion, all the tickets were kept on a central board, like it, you know, yep. they were unassigned on a central board, right? And as people picked them up, they were actually assigned to them as individual resources, so that the, the, the TVs we had were showing the tickets assigned to those resources. And right. if the resource was assigned and in progress, it would go green, yep. so you could see as a dispatch you can see who's who's assigned to what because all the tickets are on the screens um and also if they're in progress so you could just glance up and, and and see and it just helps you from getting engineers that just you know stack away a ton of tickets they've got like 12 tickets to deal with that day yeah. We 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 got to a stage where actually the dispatch was literally dispatching tickets after they'd finished the last ticket so you dis you give one ticket out they finish the one ticket, they send it back to the help desk, and then they get given another ticket. So it was literally give and take, oh, give right. and take. Yeah, wow. um, yeah. Rather than just um, – because I know in like ConnectWise's world, I think they, they treat dispatchers, they want to like line up your day, so you kind of yeah, come in the morning, they paint drag the town you green, the board, hey. and then you're done. It's like, well, actually, yeah. that that didn't work for us because yeah, same you here. can't just plan out a whole day of tickets when you've yeah. got new tickets coming in. Yeah, yeah, So it was very much a, yeah, let's just do one ticket at a time because, hey, if that guy finishes – that ticket soon then they could pick up that ticket next but you don't want to like assign a ticket over here the guy gets stuck on a ticket for an hour and then doesn't get to that one that's probably yeah, more yeah. important than another ticket you know, there's yeah, that yeah. whole organization thing we struggled um, with that
0: as well because we would we blindly followed the Connectwise rule of just paint your days green and so we went down that whole thing of trying to make sure every day was was scheduled for people but that meant that we had to be 100 percent accurate in, in guessing how long a ticket would take to do and and we Soon learned that that is impossible out there, completely impossible, and so that's when we ended up getting to the rule where, um, and we've lost, we lost Scott by the way, but we ended up getting to the rule where we only put a time against a ticket. If that particular issue had to happen at that particular time, i.e., we had to call someone back at four o'clock because that's when they were going to be at their desk, or it was a site visit that had to happen, had to happen at ten o'clock or whatever. But outside of that, it, it ran on queues because of that specific reason. Just because we we had no clue how long a ticket was going to take, you could rough estimates and you could put them in as as the rough times to give you a bit of an idea of capacity. But but scheduling an engineer's day is um just. We nod. were
1: very, very similar. To be fair, actually, so we had a yeah. So you had the in, in progress. If you were actually working on it actively, we had awaiting our like the MSP's response. If it just needed, it doesn't matter when it just needed our attention to it. Right, it was, to start start it was ready to start for us. Exactly that. Yeah. Well, well, it, that was so that was after we'd started it. um So we, we go from like not started to in progress to ah uh, you know,
0: right.
1: Okay. The engineer then decides what happens yeah, next, yeah. whether it's you know third party, but then if you needed a time. Um, like a time booking, we would have both a um, need scheduling because that, again, goes to the dispatch. Yep. They can book right. a time for right. something. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, an engineer has been scheduled. And that was also an on-site or remote um, kind of scheduled status as well. Yes. Yep. But because with ConnectWise, you can then kick off the ticket templates that says your engineer, you know, yep. Dave has been scheduled for been Tuesday yeah, yeah. at 2 p.m. Um, let us know if this doesn't work for you or, or whatever it was. So that, that was quite a nice way of actually just getting those um well, the ticket status is, the scheduling booked in, dispatcher involved in that as well. Um, but yeah, it's it fairly similar to, to the way you do that thing. Very similar, so, yeah. As well.
0: like we, the, every time we talk, Pete, it sounds like our MSPs were so darn similar. We'd, we'd, <laughs> we'd made every mistake sim- in similar ways and, and tried things out in similar ways. I suspect if you <laughs> kind of pulled the covers underneath each of ours, you'd see that most of the MSP was pretty similar.
1: Um, Scott, and Scott, a question for you. How did you – there's a very good question from uh, – was it Billy? I think just on the bottom of his – we're transitioning from the, the one man band to the the rest of the team phone calls, did you did you go through that when you started AmCloud Nexus? You got the clients phoning you and expecting you, but they're not getting you anymore.
0: If anyone knows a good I'm MSP, playing. Scott is in need, in desperate <laughs> need. Is anyone doing that twenty four by seven sixty second engineer help? Because he's he's ready to jump on now. <laughs> he's lost his buddy audio. Maybe, oh, maybe I'll
1: pass the question to you, Nigel. How, how did okay. you deal with that while well, uh, Scott fixes audio issues?
0: So, so you, you're talking about like when I was doing so, all the help desk scaling and from then the one man bands,
1: Your clients are all phoning you and they want to phone. Okay. Uh, and you hire your second staff. They're like, oh, who's this person?
0: Man, that was hard. Bloody hard with a capital H. And it was a many year process. But what I will say is that in the, like I ran my MSP by myself for, for a couple of years where I was the only person when I sold my MSP. There was one client that was left with my mobile number that would call me on average once every couple of months, mainly to book in dinner, to come and have dinner with me. And same with emails and whatnot. So I went through that journey of, of being the person that they would call at 10 o'clock at night on my mobile phone, all the way to being the person that they most clients didn't even know who I was at the end, which was awesome. I was able to kind of step out the back door. But that was a hard process to go through, a very hard process. And i had to I had to get a bit strict and I had to make some decisions that were hard for me to make. Um, to go through it. And um, and a lot of them were around that, that I'd, I'd had some of these clients because I'd looked after some of the clients at a previous MSP I'd worked at for six years before that as well. So I'd had some of these clients for eight or nine years and I'd had huge relationships with them. And, um, and so as I went through that process, I was kind of just taking baby steps backwards all the time and continually taking those baby steps backwards. And by the basics are just removing your, your phone numbers from absolutely everything so that new people then don't get access to it. But then you've got that whole process of all the existing people that have got access to it. And um, and I had to go through things like setting my voicemail up to be a very polite message that said certain things like, hey, if you're after IT support from Vision3IT or, or more technology, then um, make sure you go and call this number because you're going to have a delay if you leave a voicemail for me if I'm working on a project or whatever it was. And I put those things in. And initially when I put those sorts of things in, I would still get back to people really quickly and deal with it. But over time I started to stretch that gap and there was still those stragglers that would just go, ah, oh, like I'm just going to call Nigel. And I just got to the point where, and that's when I had to make some of those hard decisions that I just ended up ignoring for days at a time. And they would send a support ticket and it'd be like the third time I would have asked them to go and do it the right way to get the fastest support. And I just had to make it painful for them because they didn't learn the, yeah. the first two or three <laughs> times. And, then, and it was tough for me because like you guys and like anybody probably listening to this, we just want to help people. That's why we started our businesses. We just want to help and serve. And doing that just felt like it kind of goes against everything in your core. But if you don't do it, you're going to be beholden to that, that whole client for the rest of your life and you're not going to be able to pull out of those roles in there. And so I kind of had to stretch the gap and make the pain a little bit more apparent for these people. And what we did in ConnectWise at one stage, which was kind of cool, is we created this special service board called the personally mailed service board in there, and you know how in Connectwise, if you're a Connectwise user, you can um you can set up your service boards inside your Outlook. And so what we did was, in the per- if someone dragged an email that came into their their personal inbox, including me, down to the personally mailed um uh, folder in Outlook, the the service desk ticket connector or whatever it was, would pick it up and then would send the client an email saying, hey, just letting you know, um, you sent this to a personal email address, which has delayed it. Here's how to go and deal with it better next time. Like here's the email address to make sure it doesn't have any delays next time around. Um, And what we did then was we just some, like when we first rolled out that service board, if someone emailed us directly, we would drag it in pretty quickly so that they would get support pretty quickly or whatever. But it was the same people that were doing the same old thing all the time. Sometimes we'd take two to three days to drag that email in there and just help them learn the lesson in there. And it was all, there, was, there was a couple of stragglers that needed to have those couple of lessons taught to them the, the nasty way a few times because they just didn't listen in there. But it worked really well for us. They got a nicely, politely worded email saying, hey, you've, you've emailed us the wrong way. You sent it to our personal email address. It's slowed it down. And we, we really don't want to give you slow support. We want to give you super fast support. And the way to do that is via this. And so, so that worked for us for some time as well. The same with my my mobile, I just would not get back to people for a couple of days if they they did answer it. And as I said, when I sold my MSP, I was just able to quietly step out the back door with hardly anybody noticing anything in there. And and it took some, some of those tough lessons, but it was well worth it in the long run, and we didn't lose any clients over it. I don't think we even had any bad conversations over it because people just – they get used to, like, humans normalize. And so they might be happy with dealing with me for six or eight years or whatever, but two or three or four times with dealing with the rest of the team, as long as they're delivering a service that's pretty good, yeah. they normalize to that being the normal and it's not me anymore. And and it was it got there. So I'm guessing you guys probably had similar experiences in trying to extract yourselves out of the, the every ticket, answering every ticket and replying to every email in there.
1: No, I, I had a very similar experience. I think it's, you know, everyone goes through it where you, exactly like you say, you try and remove yourself from the day-to-day, you change you, know, you change all your kind of email signatures. We had things yeah. in the bottom saying, you know, if it's support-related, email this address or click here yeah. and it will then automatically, automatically open up oh. like a mail to yeah. or something. Um, taking your mobile phone numbers off. And I think one of the, um, the, the best things to do from day one when you start your own business just yourself, have that, you know, support at or help at or yeah. just create uh, that yeah. generic email address so in future you can just repoint where that point's at. Rather than having to tell your staff, you know, to tell your customers that no, you don't email me at my yeah, email yeah. address; you email yeah. the generic one, and that's a whole kind of other yeah. thing you have to try and sway Jeez. people away from it's behavior um, mechanics. It is exactly yeah, and, it's, and like you say, it feels so counterintuitive as well. You know, even when I speak to people today, and and it exactly mirror what you're you're saying there of just don't reply to their emails; just just leave it a few days yeah. and then reply, and then just okay. let them know. Oh, sorry, I, I you know I was on site with a client or whatever it was. You know, I, I missed your email. Hey, if you emailed support that, it would be picked up by the team. It would be picked up quicker or faster, and it would go into our system. So there, there are certain things you can do, but it does feel so wrong to be able to not do the work in the initial um, stages. Yeah,
0: but it, it was easy. Like our rule was that we had to make sure that we we um, we set the expectation right first before we were allowed to go and delay things and whatever. And yes, we were yeah. pretty lenient on it in that if someone came back and they did it wrong once or twice. We were okay with that. It's a, it was the serial offenders that were three three or four times or whatever. They're the ones that got the pauses in there. They're the ones that got the, yeah. the delays in there. And I think I, I felt okay with that. It still was tough, as you say, but I felt okay with that. But one of the other things that I did in here that it has reminded me of was very, very, very regularly, I left my out-of-office on and my outlook for weeks at mm. a time. And um, and that helped retrain behavior in there. And that people would send me an email and it would reply back saying, hey, I'm working on a project at the moment. I didn't have to tell them that that project was that I'm working on my business or working on something else. I'm just I'm working on a project to get the fast support going and and, uh, like send your email here or log a ticket this way or call the help desk or whatever it happened to be. And it was just retraining those behaviors everywhere I possibly could at every chance I could by leaving things like out of office on and by leaving my like setting all calls to go to voicemail first before I ever answered any of them. Um, just just slowly ate at those behaviors that I'd, it was all my fault in the first place. I'd set those behaviors and I'd, I'd given them yeah. those expectations in the first place. Cause I didn't know anything different, but um, over time, it was absolutely was possible to change in there. But
1: yeah. As with anything like with, with well, most things with MSPs, it comes down to communication of just yeah. explaining why, why it's a benefit to them to do it the way that you want them to do it. You know, why do I want you exactly. to, support that? Yeah. why do I want you to phone the, the generic number rather than my mobile number? Because you'll get a better support experience at the end of it. Yeah. if i'm on holiday if i'm busy on site no mobile f- phone signal someone will pick it up faster than i can and that that's the thing that takes a lot of people time to to kind of get over of yeah but yeah. you will you'll you're, you're better you're you own the company you know how to fix things <laughs> faster yeah. like, i i do but there's also a certain stage where actually they will just learn and they will do the thing just as fast as i do yeah. that's you know why why you employ them if not employing people better than you are so they can fix those issues faster. And there there is that transition period. Certainly when it's your, you know, when you when you're hiring that first person, it's probably gonna be a junior, or not necessarily a junior person, but someone that doesn't know as much as you do. You know, most kind of techie owner businesses are maybe senior engineers in their previous life, they've gone on to start a business, and now they need someone to come and pick up, pick up the day to day ticket stuff, password changes, random, you know, even PC setups. So they are gonna be that um, the more junior role but you do need to get the calls going through to them because at the end of the day, it does still give them a better service because at least yeah. they can pick up the tickets. At least they can respond. At least they can set expectations with your clients because expectation settings is something that most of us fail at fairly often in MSPs. You're like, yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, we'll do it straight <laughs> away. Yeah, I'll jump straight on that. And then another phone call comes in that's more important, or more urgent, and you get distracted by that instead. So I think having that person, even if they are more junior, you yeah. just have to explain how the um you know why it's going to be better service because they can actually respond where where you can't essentially. Yep.
0: And then jo- Josh um who said he's new to the the stream and the tech tribe which is awesome welcome. But he mentioned in there um it, people understand as long as they get good service. And so if you if you're an MSP and you're out there worrying about handing off um some of this stuff to the people on your team then typically underlying that whole issue is probably that your team's not going to be delivering them good service. And that's what your fear is. And so you've just got to go and fix that. And once you fix that, which which is possible, you get to the point where your team can deliver a better service to, than you. And that's, I see Lee um, mentions down there, I tell my team or customers that my team are better than I am at fixing things. And I, I remember doing that a few times, feeling like I was lying initially uh, because, because I was, without trying to toot my own horn, I was a really good troubleshooter. Um, but I had to kind of push that my team are better than me and it, it until they actually became better than me because they were able to jump on these things faster and spend more considered time and not not jump around and faff around like I was with 75 million things on my plate so um you're right Josh you just got to make sure that if you are doing that that they are getting a good service out there they're getting something good they're getting and that's comes back to that whole thing we talked about before of the personality being so much of the the Mixing there. I, I prefer hiring an engineer that's got a better personality than technical skills out there just because mm-hmm. we are in the, the customer service space. We're not really, we're, we're customer service companies that just, or customer experience companies that just happen to know about tech. And I can train tech, but I can't train someone empathy mm-hmm. very well. I don't know how to do it very well. And I can't train, or well, <laughs> There's my alarm telling me that we've got the show on in 10 minutes time because we you guys had a daylight savings <laughs> thing last week. Random question. So once
1: you've gone through that process, did you ever go back to help desk some days and just sit yeah. on and you know, pick up
0: some calls? Every, every to- month, every single month, I would have Nigel on the coal face day and I would yeah. go and sit out with, in the bullpen with the guys. I'd take my laptop out there. Sorry, I shouldn't call it a bullpen. It's a probably <laughs> a derogatory term, but I'd sit out with our help desk guys and, and I would run tickets next to them, and I'd get my service delivery guy to just throw me a bunch of tickets, and um, and they could be random ones. And it was kind of fun, um, and I learned a lot while I was in there, but also the team also saw me in action, yeah. and because some of the team had been engineers for three, five years. I'd been an engineer for 15 years at that point in time, so I was... Again, not trying to toot my own horn, but I was pretty good at, at going through a troubleshooting process. And so it really helped them learn how I would approach things. And I'd often talk them through what I was doing if I was sitting beside one of them out there. And not only did the team love it and I loved it, but the clients loved it. And I remember having one specific call where um, it, just, it was a random. I'd never spoken to this client before in my life. I'd had no, like, no experience with them whatsoever. And it was the owner of the client. And I got the particular ticket. And it was a really challenging one and we were working hard and I had her on the phone and whatever. And at the end of it, I went, oh, by the way, I'm actually the owner of the business. It's all been awesome working with you on this one. Um, love to hear, like, is there anything else we can do better? And she goes, holy crap, you, you're the owner. That's awesome that you're down on the front desk. And, um, and we had a great chat about what she loves about us and where we could perhaps do some, some different things and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, it was funny, when I first got help desk, I'm when out. I first – Got out of the help desk, and I had built enough of a team to that I didn't have to do help desk tickets at all. I kind of stepped completely away from them, and I went, "Oh, I'm never touching the help desk ticket again." <laughs> like not going anywhere near that stuff. I got team now to look after that. But then it was probably six to twelve months afterwards. I went, "Ah, oh, kind of now I've I've got past that. The weight's been lifted off my shoulders. Now is when I'm going to put that Nigel on the coalface face thing back in." And so I I do get back onto the coal face now, and I, I learned it. I learned I, I got inspired by. I think it was, um, the guy's name's Kelleher, I think. And he was the CEO of, I think it was Southwest Airlines where every now and then he used to jump on a flight and go and serve as a flight attendant and go and serve all the customers on a flight. And it was at at the time that I was just, I I was kind of six to 12 months out of just getting myself completely off tickets. When I read that and I went, oh, I've kind of got the energy now to to go back in from time to time and, and be back on the front lines and hear from them again. And and I loved it. It was kind of cool. This once a month that I just spend the day out there with them, and and they learn, I learned, clients learn. It was it was a really cool process. I don't know if you guys have done anything similar in there.
1: I, I really enjoyed that process. It's exactly the same because I, I had the like the two experiences, which again going back to having like the dispatcher and getting yourself out of the business. I have the ones where you just you, you, you get on with things, and the, I had one client actually. It was an on-site visit as well. Actually, I went out to on-site someone. They're like. Oh, that, you've done really well. Thank you. you. You should really say something to your boss. You know, you've done a really <laughs> good job. Like, yeah, I will. Okay, I'll, I'll let him know. Uh, and then you also get the, um, you know, the, the shock surprise faces when people, you know, you get you on the phone. You're like, oh, business owner, what, what's yeah. going wrong? Why are you on the help desk today? It's like, no, no, yeah. I'm just, just just helping out. I want to kind of see what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's a fun experience and he kind of, yeah like you say people can learn from you you can learn from them you learn so much more from your clients when you're actually going through the what they're going through in day to day and you learn more about your help desk staff in terms of like yeah. what they're going through every day to day, it's trying to like juggle tickets have the phone calls going yeah. at the same time so that's just like a yeah like a not a mystery shopper like the uh, is it a secret millionaire where they just yeah, yeah, yeah. go into exactly. the business yeah. and actually experience what it's actually like is it's even in small businesses you know we were only 16 staff at the most it's still a very small business but even in small teams like that there's still an awful lot you can pick up.
2: Yeah, Scott, I love it. you're back, I think. Hi. I think hey. you know, Josh makes a great point in chat as well in that it's it shows the rest of the team that you're really happy to dig into those roles as well. Because again, as you scale, it can be one of these things where help desk is kind of seen as that unthankful <laughs> first line job that, uh, you know, oh, I've, I've got the worst job. No, you haven't. This, this is the start out. <laughs> yep. But I love that everyone, you know, cuts their teeth on service desk and that, you know, you would then go and do those. I spoke to um, Jason and Brad recently over at uh, Uptime and I was like, um, are you guys having scaling issues? Because every now and then I see Brad doing tips tickets? Are like <laughs> are you, are you having issues? And he's like, no, that is part of our learning process. Yeah, it's awesome. We will do a day on the service desk. We'll do a day you know, in the UK and we'll do a day in the New Zealand team. And we do that like once a month each, I think he said. And that is exactly that. It's their way yeah, to awesome. experience... I'm- What's wow. happening in the service desk? Are, are any of the customers taking the Mickey with some of these tickets and the things they're asking for or the time that they're taking that we're then not charging for? Is there a process that we can improve? Is there something we can give the guys that will make their lives easier and make the overall experience better for everyone? And I was like, I love that. That's genius. It's it's a really great way you know, to get back in front of customers. I would say... For me, I'm probably too close to that experience of it's me doing the delivery and me doing the support and just stepping away from that to kind of step back in right now. Um, And I'm still doing that thing what you guys were talking about before my Internet decided to blow up, um, (laughs) which is stopping people calling me. And I think the only thing I would add on to what you guys had already covered um, is I also have my team's phone number now bounces to a call answering service, the same as my phone, my my phone number, my direct number, but even my team's calls bounce to a, a phone answering service. Right. And they know if someone's calling for me, are they trying to sell me something, are they trying <laughs> to raise a support case? They know what to to do and handle that. And you know, that could be for you know for anyone else. You could just bounce it to someone else in the team. But I don't want to send like because I know it's going to be support cases. So I don't want to send that to anyone else in my team. It goes to a call answerer. And then they will decide what to do with it. And if I get a voicemail back through saying, hey, you need to call this person because it's important, I'm like, cool, I can deal with that. If it's a support case, they should have called the support team. And and that call answering service will handle that for us, um, which is really cool. What was the other thing I was going to say? Because I had so much to say. I was like, it's been 20 minutes and I haven't said anything. And then the internet blew up and I forgot it all. <laughs> um, Theo asked, I think, about outsourcing what the experience has been right, for yeah. outsourcing... Um, not just, I think service desk, yes, but we've we've talked about that. I know Theo, when we did a previous session, but I think specifically he was asking about dispatching um, and whether you should outsource dispatching. And I was in a couple of minds about this because I can imagine Nigel, back in your bullpen days, you would want your dispatcher right next to your team. Mm-hmm. And Pete, you talked about actually having the monitors over the desks of what are the things mm-hmm. that you're working on. But you know what? We've now got remote support happening so much mm-hmm. and people working remotely. I think you could have a great opportunity, like we've all talked about with EAs and VAs, you could have a great opportunity to have a remote dispatcher. And I think that that would still work yeah, really well. But 100%. what I loved, Nigel, that you said about that totem uh, for the guys who were pre processing the tickets, that could also be your dispatcher. I've seen that work well in, in a previous business I was part of, where actually the dispatcher role was taken on by one of the engineers and it was either, you know, it's my week to be on dispatch or it's my day to be on dispatch. Generally it was a week because it gave them an opportunity to clear themselves of any tickets or instance that they were involved in knowing next week I'm on dispatch. And so I shouldn't be handling active tickets. I should be dispatching. I should be prioritizing. Um, And so I think this whole thing is like a scale Right. So as you start off, and it's just you and, and you're doing the delivery and then it's you and a tech and then it's a few techs. I think the number I saw was when you get into the scale of like 70 to 100 tickets a day, you need a dispatcher. Right. If you're less than that, you can probably handle it. But even I still think like 50 tickets a day is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you've got a five man team, 50 tickets, 10 tickets each. OK, it's not a huge amount for five people to do. But it still needs coordination. It still needs effort, and I guess this all comes back to you know what are the services that you are offering, and what are those tickets about, and, and how complex yeah. are they? Um, but like, yeah, fifty to seventy tickets a day, yeah, you you need a dispatcher to you know to make sure those
0: things are to serviced see what's properly. through the cracks as well. And that's yeah. the way that we always dealt with dispatching, and or that we tried to always deal with dispatching was that um, we didn't want to have it necessary for the bulk of our stuff we didn't want to so we wanted to have a system that kind of flowed pretty well for the bulk of tickets that came through and so the dispatcher coordinator whatever you want to say that role then was to just make sure that number one that stuff just flowed and they were there to catch the exceptions that flipped through and when exceptions came through because something didn't work or like one of our automated rules didn't work or an engineer didn't follow process or whatever it was. They just dealt with the exceptions rather than having to manage the norm as well. We wanted the norm to be managed by our rules and, and systems. We wanted the dispatch yeah. there to pick up the crumbs and create new rules and systems to make sure that that particular type of crumb never slipped through the cracks again. And um and that that seemed to work pretty well for us following that route rather than setting a dispatcher to be looking after all the norm as well because I felt like we could automate a lot of that stuff and we can put processes in for a lot of that stuff without requiring dispatcher in there. Um, they were there to and, and as you said, Scott, we were pro- kind of at that point, kind of that fifty to seventy tickets a day thing, where the dispatcher wa- or some sort of person was needed that was the the cleaner up of things that fell through the cracks of the norm in there. And when you've got that many tickets a day, there is going to be cracks. Um, you can't fit everything in the, the right flow permanently. And, but the goal was all the time to be continually improving what what fell through the cracks so that we could stop them falling through the crack the next time and having to be dealt with by a human. Either, ideally, it got dealt with by a, a, a workflow or an automation or yeah. a process or something. And there was some training with our staff.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think um... that's the argument. Oh, cool. I, was, I, was, I think we should finish off with, uh, Jason's actually raised a, a a good question and one we haven't actually covered yet. Um, schedulers are incredibly important in our experience. They tend to only want to sit in the role for one to two years before wanting to move into level Ooh. one tech and upwards. So it's become a great r- route for people, to be, uh, for people into a tech career. Should you hire a technical dispatcher? Oh, <laughs> that's a show in does itself. Have no technical <laughs> skills whatsoever, because I probably have an opinion, uh, an opposite opinion to Jason's by the looks of things. I always thought you should get a non-techie because I yeah. don't want them getting into the technical stuff. Yeah.
0: What do you guys think? Uh, pros and cons of each. I think they're, like, we had a non-techie and a highly techie dispatcher and, and there was pros and cons of both in there. Um, I loved the non-techie dispatcher just for your exact reasons, Pete, in that number one, that meant that they also weren't a very expensive resource to us at that point in time because they were non-technical so you could pay a cheaper resource. But number two, they didn't they, they didn't default to to tech stuff in there, which is what a lot of techie people do. They default to just diving into the weeds rather than actually looking at the, the big picture, which is where they're really needed of the the whole flow of everything. Uh, but on the flip side, at a certain size that where we couldn't, um, afford a full-time dispatcher, it was good to have a dispatcher that could also jump in the tickets when we got too busy because that was kind of our extra overflow. So, so there was pros and cons of each, and I think it, it d- depends on what size you're at and what you're looking for and the person that you've got in those roles as well. Uh, but I, I do – there's such a debate for both sides in there, the, the old pros and cons of each. And, and then both sides are right. There's like, there's, you, can, you can work with both sides of the argument in there very successfully.
1: Um, I, th- I think we struggled a lot with um, – if, you know, if you're hired with a technical – um, dispatch role, they primarily come in as a technical role because they need to learn your clients and learn the technical stuff and just get to know people. Yeah. At which stage, all of your engineer staff just think of them as like a mate, well, like one of the team. Yes, <laughs> rather than being this kind of senior management, you know, over, over kind of looking um, service. And so when they do start getting chased and nagged for certain things um they didn't really respect them as much as they should have done
0: possibly (laughs) yep that's one of the the parts of the personality trait if you're putting anyone in a dispatcher role is um i'm going to swear here so apologies in advance but sometimes it's good to have a little bit of bitch in them is the the words that we used to use and just someone that's got a little bit of i'm not willing to be walked over um and so because a lot of the time uh, not a lot of time but in in, we had some texts that were very. Um, opinionated and very like all of us we've all got an ego in some way shape or form um and to be told what to do by a dispatcher can sometimes get people up in arms and so uh, the the times that i've seen dispatchers work best is when they've not that they've got and and bitch is probably the the worst word to use in there because that's not what i'm trying to describe but but that they can command respect is what we we look for in there and um respect ultimately hopefully in a good way maybe it starts off with being the person that they're scared of but ultimately they get to the point where they they command that respect from the engineers so that they do they do respect their decisions and respect what they're doing and we we had a couple of those argy-bargy agreements in our place where we had senior engineers and we put some people above them that were from external in our business and that whole thing ended up in these kind of things in our boardroom and um but what what happened out of those situations is we had that whole like you can't tell me what to do like i've been here longer than you like all of those conversations and um and i ended up twice having a, to just bring these situations into our boardroom letting it erupt like you everybody needs to erupt in those things and i'd let it erupt and i let everybody have their say and whatever and then you'd, you'd you'd get down to brass tacks and everyone would get a little bit calm afterward calmer afterwards and and when i i sold the msp i remember having a conversation with one of my guys who said Oh, like I know that was tough when everybody came in, like the new people came in and they were above us and there was all this argy-bargy, but now in hindsight, like looking back, I can see exactly why you did it. And it was the best thing you ever did for our business doing that. And um, and so I, I, you do have to try and find those people that will comment and And that's because those people did, sorry, those people did come in and start off initially a bit argy-bargy, but then got the respect of the people that they needed to do. And they, they dived in and, and built the relationships they needed to with the team. And, and that, probably one or two or three month period disappeared pretty quickly. And then everybody really respected those people that were in the service or that person that was in the service delivery manager role. And, um, and it worked really, really, really well from then onwards. But, um, but yeah, it is. I think ours, tricky,
2: um, this a
1: turning point I think for ours was actually giving them the, that role of responsibilities of, um, you know, it, it takes a certain time for when someone turns around and says, no, actually when are you going to do that? And rather than just going, yeah, yeah, I'll do it when I get to it. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no, just it when are you going to get to it? Yeah. And actually giving them that role that says, actually, there are, you know, you can do something about it, like pull them in, pull them to one side, yeah. you know, pull, pull me in if you need to, like, you have that role and responsibility now. Um, yeah. it, it's your to make sure things operate kind of smoothly. And that yeah. that was one of the, um, you know, certainly another challenge to try and deal with, with the whole, like, appointing a tech, <laughs> an existing tech to do that, because then you're giving them like that role whilst they're the dispatch on for that day. And it's, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those kind of weird power, power oh, yeah. That- <laughs>
0: It was—it's kind of funny just just watching the whole power dynamics from a twenty thousand foot view sometimes, and just watching everybody's egos get involved, including mine in the mix, and just taking that kind of step above and just seeing it all play out. And it was kind of funny sometimes, mm. and not funny other times. There was some horrible times <laughs> in there. But anything else you wanted to say, Scott? Well, you before we wrap up, you were missing for some time. Did you have any other thoughts that you had in your? Only like Jason's
2: point around that, that entry-level role um, can go one of two ways, I think. You can go into the tech side of things. You can also go into the service delivery manager right, type of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so having a dispatcher who, let's be honest, our, our initial-level techies generally don't have a, a great EQ. And so having someone who's more of a personality person, if that makes sense, is easier for them to manage and dispatch against techies. Cause sometimes you'll just go, well, you're not as technical as I am. So you can't tell me which tickets I can mm-hmm. be working on yeah. having, having just someone who, Hey, I'm not t- techie. My job is here to just to dispatch these and hit the SLA. It depends what you want out of that, that person. Do you want them to grow and be that customer liaison you know, SDM-type role or account manager-type role where really they're becoming the friendly face of of escalations and support. And, and even, like, I had some feedback from our service desk just yesterday, and a client who typically raises 15 tickets a month raised seven tickets in one day because <laughs> they just couldn't be bothered to raise the tickets as the issues came along. And so when they had a service review, they went, oh, and this doesn't work, and that doesn't work, and this doesn't work either. (laughs) And none of them are are important, serious, life-threatening issues. They're just like, hey, the printer doesn't print, or the scanner doesn't scan. hasn't done for a week. Why didn't you tell us a week ago? Mm -hmm. Now, the feedback from our dispatcher was, hey – we can't uphold SLA on on all of these in one go because they've just kind of dropped seven tickets in one go. And that's just not how we roll, right? right? None yeah. of these are high priority. We're going to do our best, but you need to let the client know they shouldn't do this. And I'm like, that's cool. That's a perfect kind of feedback that we yeah. need to then get to the client and say, This isn't how we roll, right? You need to work with us. And the SLAs are all there. If you raise these, we'd have sorted them last week. But please don't expect to drop seven things on us right now. And they're all going to get fixed within, you know, one to two hours. Um, So, again, I just think it's a really powerful role if you're at the right scale to have these dispatches.
0: Yeah, yeah, and communication, as you say, is so darn key in this whole thing. Often, I would forget that that ultimately is about what the client's expectations are, and we'd be building all these systems and processes and people and automations and all this sort of stuff in the back end, but we just wouldn't tell our clients about how it works and. Um, in the early years, I was horrible at that. And then I, I, I kind of, I came around a, a fair bit in the latter years in that we'd then sit with our clients. And as you said, Scott, like set the expectations and help them understand how all of this stuff worked and things flowed way better than when they knew how to get the best support. And as you said, Pete, why they should do this stuff to to make it better for them, Um yeah. As Stuart says, your lack of organization is not our emergency. <laughs> um, love that phrase. <laughs> and one thing that I've actually, no, we're, we're too over and that could open up a can of worms. I was going to say yeah, one of the things we had was an emergency um, labor rate in there. And so that if people did throw something on us that they needed done quickly, that, um, that was because of their emergency on their end, it happened at emergency labor rates in there. Um, which is something that we could talk about on another episode. Uh, but anyway, Pete's got to run cause he's got a call on in, I think four minutes or something. Um, we're five minutes over. I hope that has been a helpful discussion for any of you or all of you that are listening in here. Thank you for all of the comments inside the chat. There is, um, it is awesome seeing everybody dive in with their bits and pieces of wisdom and, and lessons learned over the years. And thank you, Pete and Scott. I still learn things like I I just learned some, a few new things tonight that if I ever started an MSP again, I've got some new ways to do things. I love Pete's idea of having the open tickets in on the wall. Um, so thank you guys. Um, Pete, do you want to do the wrap up? And um, we've got to pick a topic for next week, but we'll probably do that off air.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us. Everybody, as always, uh, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel down below us in the corner. Always get the wrong corner. Um, If you haven't already signed up to the Tech Tribe, there is a link down below for like $20. I think gets you your first month of the Tech Tribe with all the templates and resources. So if you're not already on the Tech Tribe, would highly recommend that. Sign up there and um and subscribe on the podcast follow subscribe whatever you do on the podcast platforms spotify itunes like whatever your favorite platform is go and find us i think is it called the tech tribes behind the geeks or just behind the geeks on
0: the it's platform? just called behind the geeks on all the podcast things it's just behind the geeks so you should be able to search yeah. for that or search for our names or whatever and you'll find us on there cool um, thank you josh it. for joining us for the first time mm. yeah we'll yeah thank you again in the future and thanks for your questions as well it's been uh, been great to uh, to chat to you in the uh, in the comments We love diving into these techie discussions because we get to share all of the the crazy cool things that we came up with in in our journey. So I love these conversations. With that said, I'm clicking the end stream button and I'm going to have that awkward pause now when we don't know whether the stream has ended. So thank you, everybody. We'll see you all same time, same place next week. Although Australia has a time zone change between now and then. So we'll keep it at the UK time zone next week and, and see how we go. Thanks, everyone.